This is Foul Players Radio, your podcast for arts, entertainment, and pop culture. Welcome. My name is Michael Spedden, your host. Every episode features fun, fascinating stories about people in the performing arts, actors, authors, dancers, writers, musicians, athletes, you name it. Folks who are center stage, backstage, on camera, or behind the scenes. Sit back and listen. Let's have some fun. Foul Players Radio is a proud production of the Foul Players Group and the official podcast of the Foul Players of Perryville. Hey, Mary Jo Peel here, and you are listening to Foul Players Radio. Hello, this is John Piet, Kevin Schmidt, and Jerry Bozick. And we're We're August, August. the little band from Virginia. You're listening to Michael Spedden on Foul Foul Players Radio. Radio. Hi, this is Paul Castiglia, and you're listening to Foul Players Radio, the one-stop shop for all your pop culture needs. And folks, welcome to Season 10, Episode 3 of Foul Players Radio. Today, we welcome Kathy Ladman to Foul Players Radio. She joins us fresh off of her milestone 10th appearance on The Tonight Show. I really enjoyed talking to her about her career and things, you know, like what it takes to polish a stand-up act, people that inspired her to get into stand-up comedy, and some of her memories of performing in New York City and Los Angeles during the 1980s golden age of comedy. Also, Kathy meets Mike Nichols, Gauze gets Steve Bluestein, Bluestein or Bluestein. Uh, they were out on the road together. They're traveling buddies. She told me some great stories about working with him and also performing in the Catskills towards the end of that great era. We also discussed her show, Does This Show Make Me Look Fat? and her struggles with anorexia. Kathy's links are in the show notes. Her main website is kathyladman.com. And also, does this show make me look fat.com? I also have a link to her IMDb page in the show notes and to some organizations that assist with mental health and eating disorders in case you know somebody that could benefit from that information. The Foul Players of Perryville will be performing a murder mystery on the Western Maryland Scenic Railroad on February 13th and 14th. The show will be Curse of the Scroll. Tickets are available at www.wmsr.com. For information on other upcoming shows, please see www.foulplayersofperryville.com. We'll be back right after these words with Kathy Ladman. Hey, folks, the Chorus of the Chesapeake is having their second annual Bull and Shrimp Roast to benefit the Chorus. It's going to be on Sunday, May 21st, 2023, from 1 to 5 p.m. at Superior Catering Hall, 1010 South Oldham Street in Baltimore, Maryland, 21224. Tickets are $50 each. There will be a cash bar available. No BYOB or coolers will be allowed in. For more information and tickets, contact Bob Mattis at 410-435-1947. We hope to see you there. Hi, this is Kim of Kim's Crypt, and you're listening to Foul Players Radio. And folks, welcome back to another episode of Foul Players Radio. Tonight we have Kathy Ladman with us. Kathy just celebrated her 10th appearance on The Tonight Show this past Friday. Congratulations, Kathy, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And um, I just got back into town after doing that, so I'm exhausted. I bet you are. I bet you are. So what a thrill that must have been, you know, 10 times. And I guess I was just reading... Was this the first one with Jimmy Fallon and then the rest yes. were with, um, I know you did quite a few with Johnny Carson and then maybe Jay yes. Leno. 
Yes, um, it was. So basically, this is my third Tonight Show host that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and I hadn't done the show in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done a late night show in a long time. So it was a uh, it was a little bit surreal. But it was so it was like, you know, getting out there again was just so much fun. So much fun. I can't tell you. You really look like you have fun up there when you do it. You know, I've I've been watching you for years. You know, when I was um my you know, I'm a you know, going back years ago for me, I was a musician. I aspired to move from this area out to LA. By the time I got to be old enough to do it, the LA metal scene was kind of dying down. So that kind right. of nixed that. But the comedy scene was also huge at that time, which I believe you know, right. you were you and your contemporaries were the ones we were watching and laughing our asses off at and repeating the yes. next day in the cafeteria to each other. Um, yes. I mean, I really, cr- I really rode the crest of the wave of the stand-up scene. I was very lucky. I started in 81 mm-hmm. and uh, moved out to LA in 85. And it was, uh, it was so great. I mean, I, the comedy store became my home mm-hmm. and um I was doing the road a lot then. So when I was in town, I could work six nights at the comedy store, which was really important because, you know, LA didn't have the kind of stage time that New York had. Right. So in order, the fact that I could get on stage six nights a week in LA, which makes all the difference to a developing act, um, was fantastic. Oh, wow. I mean, I bet that was a real opportunity. How much time would they give you when they would put you up there? Uh, on these nights i think i think it was generally 12 to 15 minutes what that's a good amount of time wow it is good and you know when you're when you know i mean back in at that point in my life um we're talking about the mid 80s my life was very singularly focused i was Mm -hmm. a comic that's what i was doing i was writing i was performing i was listening to my performances i was rewriting and then starting again at square one. So it was very, my life was not complicated. I was a single person. You know, it was, it was, it was very, um, it was very, and it wasn't easy, but it was simple. Right. It was, a, right. It was a simple existence. So it was, you know, it was, it was fantastic. It was uncomplicated. It was uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, stand up. You know, I, I've tried a lot of different types of performing in my career. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I'm an actor, I've been a musician. Um, I do, you know, murder mysteries, which is, you know, I'd say probably about 75% improv Stand up has been the one thing where I've done it a couple of times. I get some open mics, Jesus Christ. How do you guys do it, man? I, that is, I gotta tell you, I, you guys are head and shoulders above really, in my opinion, any other kind of performing really. Um, well, you know, it's a lot of, time to it's larry do you know larry miller great oh yeah very uh, yeah huge fan and i had yeah yeah he and i several years ago we were having a conversation we were flying to do a gig together and we were talking about stand-up and he said it's like one of the most distilled art forms and and i so agree with him that it takes constant reworking and reworking and reworking until you're down to its most uh Remember in math when you would you would get numbers down to their uh, I can't even remember the lowest common denominator. Sure, or something right, like right, that. right. I mean that's that's kind of what this is like. You get it down to such an economy of words, the correct timing, um, 
you know, very simple, very, very, um, not simple timing, but, but the, the, there's not a lot of fat when, when you're talking about stand up. So it takes, it takes a lot of practice. You can't just do it once and get up there and do it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure look, other art forms take a lot too. And mm-hmm. I can only talk about, I can only talk about stand up because, and stand up and acting basically and writing is, are what I do. But stand up is my very first art form. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of crafting, a lot of crafting. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that you, I think that there's something to be said for a talent. There's something to be said for being funny. And that's something innate. Mm-hmm. But then comes the craft and really working on the jokes and working on your timing and working on your stage presence and and your presentation. And it takes a lot of time, it a, sure lot of, does. a lot of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't do it twice. No, you can't. Think, no, you can't. You know, I, I yeah. know that. Yeah. And it, it's um, and a lot of that is true about other art forms and everything. But mm-hmm. um, the thing is with stand up is that it's usually you and a microphone. Okay. Yes. Um, I, you know, play music a lot of times, you know, I'll be, you know, we'll be up there and I'll be bantering with the crowd. And sometimes if something I say isn't funny, if it doesn't go over two, three, four, we go right into a song and you can just, <laughs> right. and you're sometimes there with, I wish I had that. Right. Yes. Right. And you know, there's nothing. It's just you and your own, um, you, you and your own really, you know, you gotta be, you gotta think you gotta be quick. Um, yes. I'm sure you've probably yes. have a lot of experience, um, you know, people that want to come in and cause trouble. Yes. And, you know, I, I really, I, I, I like, I like, always hope uh, I want those days to be over. Right. I want those days to be over. It's like, I really, I, I'm still not at the point in my career where I'm get I'm working for my audience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm still at the place where people are coming into the club or the venue and not necessarily to see me. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, and then I inch towards getting to the place where people are coming to see me. And once you're mm-hmm. at a place where people are coming to see you, the likelihood of someone wanting to cause trouble is very low. Sure. You know, it's sure. very small. Um, but yes, you do have those idiots who just mm-hmm. want to come in and be the, be the show. <sighs> yeah. It and happens in all forms, but I, I, I can understand again, you, with you just being up there with your microphone, you can't drown the guy out with guitars or anything like that when right. it's just you, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a bat in those cases, it's generally a battle of wits and mm-hmm. more often than not, you have the wits and the, the other person does not. <laughs> and the, the trick is to get the audience on your side mm-hmm. against that person. Right. That's. Right. You know, and and they usually are usually that works. Mm-hmm. Now to backtrack a little bit here, um, you had mentioned that you know you had gotten into doing stand up in your you know mid I guess right around your mid twenties, uh, right. but you had had an interest yeah. in it. Um, you know, going back to the time when maybe you were just a child. Um, yes. What did you listen to? What got you? What pulled your attention into this? Well, um, when my parents had comedy albums and. I don't know what made me turn this album on, but I was eight years old and I put this album on called Nichols and May Examine Doctors. And I don't know who, who your demographic is who listens to this, but if if 
And I'm, I'm hoping that people will know who Nichols and May is. It's Mike Nichols and Elaine May. They were mm-hmm. like a groundbreaking improv team. And um, this one particular album, every every sketch on the album has to do with something medical, something in the medical field. And uh, basically, I would sit in front of the speaker of the record player. It wasn't even a stereo. It was a record player. Mm-hmm. And I would just listen to the album. I mean, I was eight years old. I mean, these, this is sophisticated comedy. It is. Yeah. Um, very dry. Um, <laughs> and I would, I would memorize the album. And then at night, when my friend just came out, at night when um, I would go to um, bed, my mom would come up to my room to say goodnight to me. And I would say prayers which to me is just so foreign to me. And then I would do a selection off the album for her. And, you know, she really didn't know what to make of this. She (laughs) was, you know, okay, very nice. Um, But this was a nightly thing that I would do. And I can tell you a story. I can fast forward to an event. Um, I was... um, So this is when I was eight years old, okay? Fast forward to... I would say probably I was in my uh, uh, mid forties, mm-hmm. and I was doing an, a movie with Mike Nichols. It was thrilling, and um, we were in a, at an, a house uh, at a location at, at a private home, and we were standing outside of the home, and he was setting up the shot with the director of photography and. And it just so happened that I was standing like right, right next to him, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Basically, I was standing next to Mike Nichols and kind of randomly. And I don't know what came over me, but I started to do this bit from the album called More Gauze. Mm -hmm. And I just said this word gauze. And he goes, gauze. And I say more gauze. And he says more gauze. And I'm doing this bit Mm -hmm. with Mike Nichols. (laughs) And... At a certain point, I got confused because I wasn't play- he was in he was doing since I started, I was being Mike Nichols and he was being Elaine May. Right, right. So um I said, Oh my God, I said, You don't know what it's like to do this with Mike Nichols. And he said, You don't know what it's like to be Mike Nichols. <laughs> and and it was just one of the most thrilling moments of my life mm-hmm. to ha- to see how it came full circle, how that that little like germ of a dream brought me to the present moment. It was pretty, pretty surreal. That must've been great. And plus um, it must've been really nice to uh, work with somebody that you'd looked up to. Oh my God. It was amazing. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, granted I didn't have like a huge part Mm -hmm. in, in his films, but, but I still to, you know, to work with him and meet him and, and tell him what he meant to me was was a a huge uh, huge opportunity for me. If you don't mind, I, I have some experience with that sketch myself. If you don't mind, if I tell you, um, not at all. There's a small club in Baltimore City, and um, it's called the Lou Costello Room. It's above a bar called Zissimo's, and oh. we were taking um, a bunch of. I was taking improv classes there, and every so often they would have a night where they have um, a bunch of people coming to do stand up. You can do sketches, you can do improv. And uh, it was me and two other actors. 
Um, mm -hmm. We got together. Um, it was uh, me and another uh, male and, and a female actor. We got together and we did some old comedy sketches mm -hmm. um, as part of our thing. We had about 20 minutes. We did that one. I wasn't in that one. I played a, pa I just laid there as a patient with a sheet on. Right. Um, right. We did. Um, and I'm guessing if you have an appreciation for that, you probably, uh, you know, Bob and Ray, the Komodo dragon. Oh my God. We did yes. that one. Um, oh my God. Yes. And then we did um, 30 and 10 Abbott and Costello. I don't know and, that one. Um, that one is, it's one of the math ones where they go back and forth and it's, they okay. end up, you know, the, they do weird math and it adds up and it's, you know, okay. um, right, then, right, right. And then we also did, um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I think it was one leg to, it was the one where, uh, Dudley Moore hopped in with one leg and he was auditioning to be Tarzan. Oh, <laughs> so we did those and, um, oh, how it, great. It, it was a lot of fun. And they were doing that for a festival. There was a festival right. going on and they were having people coming in off the street and then right. going back out and partying and everything. And it, it, it went very well, but, um, I really have a material. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we were doing it. Yeah. You know, we you know, made it clear. This isn't our stuff. <laughs> you know, we're not trying to rip right. anybody off, but right. it was to pay an homage, you know, and I right. think, um, you know, plenty of that, you know, that, the, there's nothing wrong with doing something like that, you know, as long as you acknowledge it. And it's to showcase, sure. you know, that material yeah. to pay tribute to it. Um, right. So, um, you know, so, you know, Nichols and May, and you were listening to these albums growing up and everything. Um, I know that you had mentioned um, before that you had been a teacher in the past. Yes. English. Um, was that, did you, um, did you have any kind of creative outlet? You know, I guess between the time you were a little girl up until you started performing, did you have anything else you were doing artistic wise, artistically? I well, mean? I mean, I, I when I was eight, but, oh God, that cat is so loud. When I was eight years old, um, I, I started becoming interested in comedy. And when I was 13 and uh, I, I was uh, at camp, a, you know, sleepaway camp, and I was in a play, Once Upon a Mattress, and sure, was, yeah. I played Princess Winifred and I was so, uh, it just, it just, it, I, it woke me up and I decided that I was going to be a comedian mm -hmm. when I, when I grew up, that's, I wanted to be an entertainer and I, and I, and stand up was, was the most, um, uh, um, kind of, uh, attractive form for me and i used mm -hmm. to listen to i used to watch the ed sullivan show all the time and i would watch the late you know i would watch the tonight show and, and watch the comedians and that was really what i wanted to do and then it took me and then i, I had, was pretty unhappy as a kid i did not really enjoy my middle school and high school years i went away to college and and um didn't love the theater department where I went to school. So I really didn't have such a creative outlet. I became very interested in studying film, um, but didn't have the performing outlet that I really wanted to have. And that's why, it did, and I was scared. I didn't have a lot of the support that, um, that I wanted to have to kind of help get me on that stage. And it took me until I was, 25 almost 26 to get up there and really start my stand-up career mm. so 
it, yeah, and and English, English teaching English was something I basically just kind of. My mother told me, you know, this is the kind of thing I would hear, like, you should get an education degree just to have something to fall back on. I mean, that's the kind of encouragement I got. I didn't get those the kind of <laughs> encouragement like you can do it. It was like, here's something that you can do when your dreams don't come true. You know, that <laughs> yeah. was yeah. that was yeah. that was that's the kind of talk I received. Me too. And unfortunately, me too. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I was very I was very um, uh, kind of. Uh, um, what's the word? Um, I was vulnerable to it. I was mm-hmm. really vulnerable to it. I didn't have a lot of uh, confidence, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and then I found I found support in other places in my life. Mm-hmm. I taught for a year, and I knew I didn't want to teach. Mm-hmm. But what was great was that I met my best friend of now um, forty forty seven, almost forty seven years when I was teaching. So that was, that was the best thing that came out of that. Right. 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 There's something rewarding about teaching. So I did it myself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not what I wanted to do. Right. Right. I get that. I know what you mean. Um, but you know, it, it does help you. I mean, you probably did take some skills out of that because, you know, if you were teaching, it was a tough crowd, you know, and I'm sure you probably carried that with you too. Yes. And it was, you know, it really was like, a performance each class mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. essence um so yeah there were there are crossover skills for sure oh absolutely um so um were there you know others anybody else you know that you you know that really inspired you or influenced you um in the comedy well, area or uh... yeah i mean i listened a lot to robert klein mm-hmm. um george carlin um bill cosby at the oh time, yeah you know mm-hmm. before he yeah, was an, an awful person, and um, and then Lily Tomlin was a big influence <laughs> on me, and and then of course you know I, Joan Rivers I, mm-hmm. was a big favorite of mine, um, but there weren't a lot of women. Yeah. Um. Then I mean there are way more now, but right. there weren't a lot of women back when I was looking for um people in people uh to follow and mm-hmm. to follow in people's footsteps um so i did have a lot of male um icons that i mm-hmm. was looking to sure sure um yeah th- that's really the way it was and, and and you know you you can definitely see you know it's it's true that there weren't as many women in the field you know back then i'll tell you and they were really trailblazers because i gotta tell you you know lily tomlin uh, Lucille Ball, um, they're no yes. joke. They are no joke. And I think Carol no. Burnett, um, they're another one. They are, I'll tell you, they've got great I was shots. a huge Carol Burnett fan. Yes. Oh, yeah. I used to watch it, watch her every, every single show I would watch. And, and that I remember in co- when I was in college, there was a Saturday night lineup that was not to be beat. It was all in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, MASH. Mm-hmm. The Bob Newhart show, mm-hmm. the Mary Tyler Moore show, mm-hmm. and the Carol Burnett show. Yep. It was intense. It was like such, I mean, I had no desire to go. Oops. Uh-oh. Did I disconnect us? No. I had no desire to go out on a Saturday night. Right. Um, right. I just wanted to stay home and watch watch that lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
Yeah, there they, they were, and and you know, I also want to tell. I don't know if you're aware of the the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York. Um, That's where Lucy is, was from. They did a statue right. of her a couple of years right. ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and um, but there's the Lucy and Desi Museum there, and there's also the National Comedy Center, which is um, a building that that covers all of comedy. Hmm. And has you know George Carlin's notes and and they and I just did a special uh, show there with a, a few other people um, to uh, help promote the uh, the opening of the exhibit of the Johnny Carson uh, the Johnny Carson exhibit at the National mm-hmm. Comedy Center and unfortunately Jamestown is a little bit out of the way but it's a beautiful part of New York State and this mm-hmm. in the spring and the summer. If anybody's driving through that area, I highly recommend going to the National Comedy Center. It's fascinating. It is such an amazing place. And Lucy and Desi, you know, I, I was a huge fan of uh, oh. of them. And mm-hmm. and I learned so much more about them and how what they did. I mean, they basically, you know, they, be, they had their own studio. I mean, mm-hmm. they produced so many shows. Oh, they yeah. had, you know, they were they were like like a, a, a an MGM in essence mm-hmm. for television, and um, very powerful. They were very powerful and real trailblazers um, in the art form. They really sitcoms. were. Yep. No, yeah, they really were. Um, and another thing too, I I've had some guests that have worked with Lucy in the past um our mutual friend sam quasman um mm-hmm. and you know a few others and th- they've actually been on set with her even when she was a guest star oh, i'll wow. tell you what technically she was just no i mean she knew her stuff technically as far as lighting and she knew her way around the stage as far as sound oh, yeah and lights and i mean she was an expert in all of those things and mm-hmm. um she was just an amazing, amazing, um, just, you know, talent as well as just a mind as far as, and a lot of the things that they did is, you know, like how they shot their show and were just things that are just, you know, were pioneering. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, it, you know, the way most shows are shot today, I mean, certainly multi-cam, multi-camera shows are, is based on what they basically invented. They, they really then. did. The, the live studio audience mm-hmm. shows with 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 uh, four cameras and or th- three to four cameras and and mm-hmm. and the 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 sets that were kind of moving across the stage. I mean, it was just it was it was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking, uh, and it, and it and it opened a whole era. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you this too, and I'm sure that you were probably. Um, this was probably something that may have predated your performing years, but did you ever perform in the Catskills? Yes, I oh, did. Oh, you did? Um, I did, but it was it was towards like kind of like the tail end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it wasn't, you know, I was I was a generation or two late. Right, right, for, right. For that heyday. But I did have an opportunity to do some performances there, a handful. Hmm. Right. And it was great. And and it was especially great because I got my parents used to go to this one hotel in the Catskills and I got to perform there. I was booked there. And that was like, oh, my God, they were so they were so proud. Mm-hmm. They were just so proud. Um, so that was a, that was a kick. 
that was really a kick. That's something I've always been very interested in because in, with those hotels and I watch, you know, any documentary or any article I can read about that I do just because of the vast history and so many people that came up through that circuit over the years. It's just yes. amazing. And uh, my wife and I went up there and we saw, unfortunately, we got to look at the ruins of a lot of these places, but and yes. I know people that you know were growing up in vacation there and they said it was just such a magical place back in its day. Oh, it was. It yeah. was. I mean, I remember going there uh, sometimes um, with my family mm -hmm. and we would spend, you know, three or four days there and it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. And like the food was like flopping off the plates. There was so <laughs> much food. My God. Um, and it was, I think it was probably something that was, was built from, you know, segregate, segregating Jews to, to their own, um, place, yeah. you know, yeah. almost like a ghetto of, of, mm -hmm. of, of, um, of vacationing, which became a Mecca for entertainment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? well, uh, yeah. A lot of the people that started that area too, were really not very far removed from, I guess, if he was a real guy like Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof, you know, they were from the mm -hmm. old country and right. they had found these opportunities to buy this land and kind of get back to the life. You know, they kind of went from living in these little villages to coming over and working in sweatshops and God, who, who right. would blame them for wanting to get the hell out of there? And right. they started their own little areas and right. um, invited friends up and um, anytime, you know, believe I, I don't blame them either you know i would want to get the hell out of working in a sweatshop sure. and get, that's such yeah. beautiful country out there too it's isn't gorgeous it? it's so gorgeous oh my god it's so lush mm -hmm. um and also just a little bit something related to that um when you're talking about working in sweatshops um you know um and very interesting book when i first moved to los angeles in 85 it's mm -hmm. you know it's a very new city it doesn't have doesn't have a lot didn't have a lot of history for right. me the way you know i grew up in new york um you know the the northeast is has a lot more history than sure yeah than as as part of the country than southern california does but there was a book that someone recommended to me by neil gabler called an, an empire of their own how the jews invented hollywood mm -hmm. and it's fascinating how these guys who were like furriers and, uh, you know, for like trappers and, and stuff like that in mm -hmm. Europe came over and started, just fell into this business of Nickelodeon machines mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that, that slowly progressed into the motion picture business. I mean, these, these, they didn't know what they were doing, right. but they, they, it, it, it kind of ran away with itself mm -hmm. and it became this, industry that had never existed and it was it's a fascinating book and does give some context to to the business and how it began it's, if you're if you're interested in it if anybody's interested in it i most definitely would be i'm a, I, I absorb yeah. that stuff i absolutely love the history it's a great of this, read. you know yeah it's um, a great read yeah I, I just finished um you know i always you know whenever a, a guest of mine has a book i read it i don't BS my way through the interview. I always read it right. to make sure. And right. I've had such a good experience doing that. I mean, I've learned so much and I've had so many just interesting people on here. Um, you know, uh -huh. yourself included, you know, I mean, um, 
like I said, I've followed your comedy since the, you know, the eighties or nineties. And, uh-huh. um, you know, we, you know, we used to record the one night stands on HBO. We right. used to watch the night it's at the improv. And I remember right. seeing you quite a bit back then. And we would you know record right. these things and watch, we used to get together before we would go out, we would watch them. And, have right. a few and there were so many shows. Yeah. There were yeah. so many shows. I mean, I was doing shows constantly. Yeah, yeah. So many comedy shows. It was, it was, I mean, it was really, I came up, I was so lucky to come up in such a great era mm-hmm. uh, where I was watching great talent and learning from great talent. And then also riding this wave of popularity mm-hmm. where everybody wanted to go see comedians. Oh yeah. And it was yeah. almost like it was almost like jazz in a way. It was like it was like really just on fire. The art form was just so interesting. And I think it kind of went through a place where it became not as interesting um in my in my estimation. Uh it became a little bit more pedestrian, I think. When I look at the, and and maybe I'm just sounding like an old person, you know, saying, well, the old days, you know, mm-hmm. you will know those will never happen again, mm-hmm. you know, but it, to me, it just, uh, there, there, there was something very special that the comics who began in the late seventies and the, in the eight and the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's a certain style. And the thing is, is that, um, and one thing that I hate to say, and, and I guess it, it could be a fact that, you know, I mean, some of the places where I've performed, you know, just in different art forms and, you know, that I've done. Um, I see so much of these young comics nowadays. It's just, um, you know, F bomb after F bomb. I know. Um, I know. And it's not that I'm a prude. It's like, it's really lazy. It is. It's it just, is. it's just not, you know, when you take out, you take out the F bombs and what are you left with? Exactly. Is, is there something funny there? Right. There right, might be. Right. Mm-hmm. There might be, but more often than not, there isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's um, exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Please, please. Okay. Okay. Everybody knows all about me. Okay. We're here to learn about you. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, uh the you know, I mean I've, in listening to your stuff over the years, I mean, you know, a lot of your things are based on the things that are around you, your experiences, how you relate mm-hmm. to people, the people in your life, mm-hmm. and the funny things about that. Yes. Um, I don't think I've heard you go below the belt once, you know, which um, I don't I think. Don't. Yeah. I don't. And it's not that I haven't thought of things that are funny below the belt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just not part of how it's just not how I present myself. Yeah. yeah and yeah. initially. What I wanted to do was I wanted to be able to get my act on TV. Yeah, and in order yeah. to get my act on TV, when I started, it was network. Mm-hmm, there was no mm-hmm. cable. Right. So you right. had to be you had to be network clean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was that. And look, I find that there are plenty of people who work dirtier than I do, whom, whom I find very funny and very creative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it I would can... say the majority of people who work blue, mm-hmm. the majority are not incredibly inventive right 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 it, it seems to no. me like um it, it's almost like um grabbing low-hanging fruit you know yes the I, I agree <laughs> but, um, no i agree yeah or i agree and another thing too it's almost like um they just haven't polished their craft that much because you know i mean i, I can remember being a kid 
and we're watching television, uh, we were watching cable or something like that, and somebody would, mm-hmm. you know, cuss. Of mm-hmm. course, we thought that was the funniest thing we'd ever heard. We're rolling on the floor. What happened? Nothing happened that was funny. Somebody just yelled an F-bomb, and we thought it was funny. Right. They, it seems like that's right. what they're presenting themselves as. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it really takes, and, you know, getting back to what you said, it really takes a lot of polishing and work and thought to really be good at something like this here. Um, uh-huh. I wanted to ask too about your um, show. Um, you had your okay. show. Um, does this show make me look fat? And yes. are you ever bringing that east? Yes. Um, well, I'm go- I'm putting it up again at the end of April, again in Los Angeles. And my plan is to. It's it's very hard to get a solo show up and running in a profitable and uh, uh viable way so that i can afford to perform certainly. it and yeah. and still and still make a living um but what i'm what i'm planning to do is to bring it back to new york um to this uh festival called the united solo festival mm-hmm. and that's in the fall and that will be a nice way to bring it to new york and have new york people come to see it and and my goal is to have um to find a producer who can help me produce a three week run someplace mm-hmm, where I sure. can polish and get it reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I get it reviewed, then you can start. And, and then once you have ticket sales, then you can start bringing it to places that want to see what your track record is. Can you, you know, can you fill this theater over, over, you know, three, three weeks? Right, um, right, and um, so it's it's a slow build, but but that's yes, I definitely want to bring it to back east. Definitely, I'd love to it's see it. <laughs> yeah, it 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 um it I think it's a very personal show. Yeah, it's very. It's about my eating disorder, uh, my recovery from my eating disorder, and um, it's funny and it's also um, kind of harrowing in 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 some ways. Um, because it's a scary disease, anorexia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it, it's, at, you know, at this point in my career, I feel like I want to be of service. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's great making people laugh. And I think that does make a difference, but I think I want to, um, I don't know. I want to, I want to help people, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, I want to, and humor, it's a great way a great way to um um Barry Crimmins used to say to me how you would smuggle the uh the truth through humor you know mm-hmm. you would get you would you would get them to listen to the the truth by uh wrapping it in in jokes mm-hmm. and um and that's that's hopefully what my show does is it's not glib it's not you know, and I don't, I don't make fun of anorexia, mm, no, but I no. do, I do present um, my life in in a way that I show the um, funny parts of of growing up and how I became who I became and why I um, developed this disease mm-hmm. and how I overcame it. And, no. and continue to overcome it because it's really something that is ongoing, but, um, but doesn't have the impact on me that it did 
30, 40 years ago. It's something that, and, and I would say that with, with you doing this um, and, you know, making people late, but also being helpful um, nowadays, there's a lot of awareness and a lot more people are speaking up about mm-hmm. you know, things like mental illness, um, depression. Yes. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that um, I've heard your TED talk. Um, I've, I've seen your TED talk on, um, on mm-hmm. the internet and um, you know, like a lot of the things that I'm getting, you know, people really, you know, some misconceptions that people have are like, um, mm-hmm. well, your anorexic, why don't you come to my house? I'll feed you, you know, come on. You know, that's not it. Yes. Well, actually, my father actually said my father didn't know how to deal with it. He actually once said to me, why don't you just open the refrigerator and take a piece of rye bread? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was his simplistic cure right, right. for my disease. I mm-hmm. mean, not completely not understanding what what motivated me and what, you know, what the root mm-hmm. of my problem was. Right, right. So and then there were people who also sometimes say, oh, I wish I was anorexic. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. yeah, but they don't, you know, it's just out of ignorance. They don't mean anything mm-hmm. bad by it. They just don't get it. Right. All. Right. Um, and you, you had talked about how it had kind of affected you, um, you know, as you were you know, growing up and everything. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I, I can tell from what you were saying without giving away your talk. I mean, it got pretty serious there. Um, oh yeah. It was grim. It was really grim. It was, it was scary. I, I, um, I got down, I mean, I can tell you, I got down to under, I, I'm five foot four, just to give mm-hmm. you some context. Right. And I got down to under, under 85 pounds Ooh, as yeah. an adult mm-hmm. and thought I was, and still thought I was fat. Mm. And I, this is, it's, it's just the way it's the perspective of someone who can't see herself clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is it looks through these lenses yeah is it a hallucination or something i mean um no it's just it's just a it's i mean it's 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 a one way to put it is body dysmorphia yeah you just look at yourself and you just don't see what's there because oh. you're seeing yourself through this prism of oh, self-hatred okay. and um you know just just you know a, a lack of a lack of self-love. Right. right. Um, um, I mean, I just said the same thing twice, self-hatred basically. (laughs) I mean, that's what it is. It's just, it's just not, not accepting yourself for who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is something that, um, I I was really gathering and I was trying to get a little bit of a better understanding. So it's not like you look in the mirror and I mean, you know, Every time I've seen you on television or whatever, you look like a height, weight, proportional person. But right. I mean, when so you weren't looking in the mirror and seeing an obese person where nobody else was seeing. No, but no. I was. I was not seeing. I didn't look like I was five hundred pounds. But okay, okay. I definitely looked. I definitely saw myself as fat, where oh. there was no fat to be seen. Okay, and okay. you know, and my recovery has gotten me to the place where even even if I look at myself and think. Mm-hmm. I look fat. I know, I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was really in, in the throes of my disease, what I saw was a fact to me. Mm-hmm. Right. You right. know, now I know it's not a fact. Oh, okay. now I know it's, okay. now I know it's a distortion. Okay. Okay. That, that, that makes things a little more clear. Okay. Um, you know, well, well, um, well I'm, I'm glad that you're out doing this and it's, you know, 
something you know you feel called to do and i'm sure you are helping people i bet there are people that I, you know i I, know, I, yeah. I get um occasional and like when i did the ted talk and and when i did um um my show i mean i get feedback from people um who thank me mm -hmm. for uh speaking about it because it's a very uh isolating disease mm -hmm. although it does it does show and you know when 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 you are in the throes of anorexia it's physically obvious mm -hmm. what that there's something wrong but it's you know you hide you eat in, you eat in in private you you you're it's it's very closely tied to depression mm -hmm. and um um and these people have thanked me for talking about it and and it and and i've you know i think i have helped people and the more i get to do this i mean my goal in doing this is um eventually i would like this to be uh i would like to take it around to to different cities and i also would like to have it uh on uh either uh, a cable network or streaming mm -hmm. or even pbs something like that where more people can see it sure sure well you know? i think you could definitely reach a lot of people doing that and it's it, it yes. would be there as a resource too um yes are there are there any organizations that you've worked with has this show or um that you actively work with we can give websites or whatever if you like well there's there's nami the national um uh i think it's the national association for, uh of mental illness um and um there's the national Oh God! What is it? It's it's. I don't remember the acronym, but it's um. It has to do with eating disorders. Uh, it has it has eating disorders in the in the name. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not being more specific. Sure. I sure. should be. I should be prepared though, with that. Thanks. That's a good question. Okay. Um. Well. Um. Well. Again, that, that that's a great thing that you know people were able to benefit from this, and you were able to help these organizations. And um, I'll put the um, the links um, in the show notes, so Thanks. folks, if you want to go and maybe contribute or see if there's a way that you can help out, the links will be there, definitely. Yeah, and pass yeah. it along to people that you sure. know sure. who pass might be along. suffering. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing too. Um, I've you know, being in the performing arts, you know, and we do have a lot of stage moms and people that listen to the show too, you know, um, mm -hmm. to hear about, you know, how people have become successful at this. And a lot of young girls, you know, that are performers, you know, um, a girl may mm -hmm. have a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit heavy, but, you know, she's trying to dance and then that affects mm -hmm. her. Um, is this more chemical or is it more trauma-based you know, there are various, there are various, um, theories about it. Um, the, the, the more, most recent theories is, are that the, that the, there's, it lives on a chromosome oh, and wow. that it can't, because you're predisposed to it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to manifest, oh, but okay. if you have the right environment Hmm. If if you if you live in, you know with an uh with a very in, in a in a very enmeshed family for mm -hmm. for instance uh very um overbearing parents high high achievers hi max um high high achievers um 
um, um, demanding, demanding uh, parents. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, and then you're somebody who doesn't have a good sense of self. All these things can add into the mix and add, you know, kind of make a recipe for disaster there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the element of how our society um, presents women. Mm, sure. You yeah, know, like, yeah. like, you know, like pieces of meat and yeah. um, looking at looking a certain perfect way. And, you know, you mentioned women in the performing arts, but in particular, uh, dancers, ballet dancers, mm-hmm. anorexia mm-hmm. and bulimia are very prevalent in mm-hmm. that field and almost encouraged. You know, they're um, they're told they, they have to be able they have to be light enough so that, you know, the the male dancer can lift them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's very it's almost um, subversively uh, written in in the career path. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's scary stuff. Yeah, it, it, that's a tough thing too. And you had mentioned, you know, with um, you know, with, with a lot of these issues too, with you know, women. I know a few people that have had complications from getting breast implants. They thought they needed those when they really, I don't think, were necessary. And then, right, other things you're doing things to their lips and um, the facial it's, injections and things like that. Yes, and um, yes. Yeah, you know, it's just a shame that, and then you know, a lot of men do it too. Um, a lot yeah, of men but do it I think well, on, I think, I think on, ex- on, yeah. it, it, it is more prevalent amongst women. Right, I, I really think so too. It, it, yeah. My wife is in the business as well, and um, you know, she she agrees with you on that because we've had this talk, you know, quite a few times. Quite right, few times, you know. Yeah, um, I mean the pressure pressure for women to look young. Or, and, yeah. or to be young, mm-hmm. it's like you know, you when you have when you you know when you have the audacity to get older mm-hmm. in this business, you're punished for it. Right. Well, yeah. And it's it's terrible. Yeah. One one thing that you had mentioned the other night on the Tonight Show, you came out, you talked about your hair, and um, yes. By the way, you have got the greatest hair ever. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, I got lucky. You know something. Yeah. Um, I have in in my you know, murder mystery troupe, you know, two, two of the women, um, you know, stopped dying their hair a couple of years ago. They're doing the natural look right now, which I think looks great. Yes. Um, I think it's a good look. I mean, I've got a little bit of snow on the roof myself, a little poly walnuts on the side here. And, yes. um, and I think we should embrace getting older, you know, I mean, or, you, mm-hmm. know, the, you know, you don't have to hide it because truthfully, the more you try to hide it, it ends up looking worse. I think it and, does. And it really does. You know, I um, <laughs> I had to uh, you know to play a character one time. I had a beard at the time, which I hated, and I had to dye it. And I had like the Rudy Giuliani thing going on by the time, like the oh my God. the dye was starting to run off of it yes. and everything. And um, yes. that was the end of that. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it, I think it looks fine. It looks good, you know. And I think more and yeah. more people are embracing that, you know, um, the gray so. and everything. Um. I think there's nothing wrong with it. It looks good. Um, I, I know we're uh, wrap, we're running short on time here. Um, yes. I just wanted to ask a couple more things. Um, okay. Um, one thing I normally ask about is um, oh, two more things. Um, okay. I usually ask when I have musicians on if they have any spinal tap experiences, um, or could you share anything? I know that you travel with um, 
Steve Bluestein a lot. I read about you in yes. his book, and um, yes, he's you guys travel to Vegas a lot, and he's always throwing his back out. It seems like, and um, yes, he does. <laughs> There's always um, something wrong with Steve. I had to go. I had to go buy him a back brace one time, which he he still fondly he keeps, and and it's a good story for him. But yes, good he, guy. Um, He's a good guy. He's a really good guy. And he, um, but there's always something, there's always mm-hmm. something with Steve. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, we just, um, we just have so much fun. We have so much fun together. In fact, one time I, I traveled with Steve, um, blues. It's actually, I get confused. It's Bluestein. It's Steve Bluestein. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always say everybody, you said blue Stein. I think it's Stein. blue Stein. He corrected me and said Stein, I think. Oh, is it Bluestein? Steve Bluestein. <laughs> yeah. Steve Blue- now I'm now I can't remember. I, and now I can't remember. And I've known effect. him for so many years. <laughs> anyway, he and this other friend of ours, Steve Altman, the three of us traveled together. Um, mm-hmm. and we had so much fun. And one of the great things about doing the road with your friends is that you're with your friends. Oh I yeah. Mean, the road is such a lonely place. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and it is. when you're able, when you're able to work with people that you, that you know and love, the whole experience is different. I mean, it's, it's so much better and it's, and it's, it's farther and fewer between as you get farther into your career, you don't get to work with your friends that often. And when you do, it's just the best. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and Steve's a great writer. I would, I would, I would recommend checking out his books. He's a terrific writer. I I read his memoirs, um, memoir uh-huh. of a nobody. I I was laughing every yes. ten minutes. I had to put it down. He's a, such a funny writer. He's a such a funny writer. Yeah, he really <laughs> is. He really is. Mm, mm, yeah, he he really is. Um, I would. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you here, I know um, they mentioned on the Tonight Show that you have some shows coming up around Valentine's Day. Are there any shows that you would like to plug? Um, we can also well, give your website and everything in the show okay, notes. Great. Yeah. Yes, I mean I have. Um, I have that show at the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley, which is in Marin County, north of San Francisco, on Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Um, I mean, it just happens to be Valentine's Day. It's not. It's not a Valentine's Day show. It just happens to be February fourteenth. Right, 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 I right. hate Valentine's Day. Um, I it, do too. <laughs> ugh, I just never liked that day. Um, it's as my friend Kathy, whom I met when I was teaching, says. It's just another day for. It's just another opportunity for everyone to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then at the end of April the 28th through the 30th, I'm going to be doing, does this show make me look fat at the Pico theater? Oh, good. In Los Angeles. So that's, and, and that'll be, that'll be up on my website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, those are the, those are the main shows. I mean, really the next couple of months I have to start mem- re my show mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, rehearsing again. Right. So right. that's going to be the main focus. Well, best of luck to you with that. You know, I'm, you. I'm really happy that you're able to get out there and do that again. And it, it's really got to be a special thing. Um, something that's near and dear to you that you're able to get out and perform for people, make a difference. Yes. It's got to be very satisfying and I'm very happy. It's real for gratifying. You. Thank you so much. And this has been great. You're a terrific interviewer. I really, really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you for asking me. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. Um, I guess what we'll do now is um, 
thank everybody for listening folks this has been uh, this has been Kathy Ladman here on foul players radio it's a um you know it's a, it's been a great interview I appreciate you being willing to have the time to come and talk to us Kathy um I've really enjoyed Absolutely, it my pleasure and you know I've uh followed you for uh quite a while on TV and everything and it was great to get an opportunity to finally speak with you so uh thanks so much I appreciate it Michael thank you Kathy and thank you all for listening and we will see you next time on foul players radio and folks, thanks again for tuning in to Foul Players Radio this week. Our guest again was Kathy Ladman. I really had a good time talking to her. Again, fresh off of her 10th performance on The Tonight Show, and that's over three different hosts, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, and Jimmy Fallon. Again, we had a really great time talking to her. For more information on Kathy and her performances, www.kathyladman.com or doesthisshowmakemelookfat.com. Folks, we will see you next time on Foul Players Radio. Stay tuned. Remember, we are both on YouTube and on our main website. Please go to YouTube and hit the like and subscribe button and spread the word. The more the merrier. We'll see you next time, guys. Take care. This is A.D. Adams, and you are tuned in to Foul Players Radio with your host, Michael Spedden. Yeah, hi. This is David Simmons from DC Star, and I am just encouraging all of you to tune in to Michael Spedden's show on Foul Players Radio and love the rock and roll of the past and the art of the future. Hi, everybody. Dwight Weems from Gaz the Fun Band. And you're watching and listening to Foul Players Radio. Hi, this is Bud Becker, and you're listening to Foul Players Radio.